2: What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius. Forgive the little hiatus, there were a few elements of life that conspired to keep us off the air for a little bit, or at least not as often as we would like, but we should be a little more consistent going forward. And... Uh, Since it's been a while, we're going to speak in a little more general terms about the team, kind of checking in with where the state of the team is. As we record this, the Lakers are 11-8, and very close to the quarter mark of the season, and it's a good time to check in and, and kind of figure out what's real and what's not. Along those lines, Darius had this piece today about the first 19 games and split it between the first 10 games and the last nine games. And to be overly reductive about what that piece was about, the basic gist was the first 10 games, they were a good offensive team and a bad defensive team. The last nine games, they've actually been a really good defensive team and a below average to bad offensive team. Now, the question I have for you, Darius, is... Which one of those are real? Is it a mix of the two and why?
1: I actually think that the team that we've seen more recently is more real. Why? I think that there's a bit more consistency in terms of lineup and that this is now the version of the team that's most likely going to be for the rest of the season. The first 10 games just happens to be um a nice round number but it also happens to be the same amount of games before the lakers acquired tyson chandler after he was bought out Mm -hmm. by by the suns and and what what we see in the statistical profile of the lakers after they've acquired tyson chandler is that their defense has taken a major step forward and their offense has taken um a medium step backwards um And I think those two things combine to make this sort of a new profile statistically for the Lakers. But I think that this is going to be closer to what they are just based off of personnel and Luke starting to figure out the rotations a little bit and and how he wants to deploy these guys. And there's a lot of different factors in terms of like what type of effort you're going to get from LeBron night to night how the young guys are starting to come along, and a variety of other things. Um, Which version do you think is real?
2: I I tend to agree that it's closer to the current version, and I am fairly optimistic that the offense is going to get better. Now, part of the offensive, defensive rating stuff that I think deserves some context, is the Lakers have been in a fairly soft part of their schedule over the last, I don't know how many of those nine games, but that was, remember, we talked about the first 11 and then there was the next the next 10 or so, right? So they're coming toward the end of that softer part of of the schedule. And the numbers within that are going to reflect, right, that they have not played teams that are as good. They're winning more games. As a result, you know, better better net rating differentials. In terms of the offense, there are a couple of specifics that... I'm curious about that. I, I don't necessarily have a smoking gun when I watch back on tape. But one thing that I, I want to ask you about that stands out to me is LeBron is acting as a middle of the floor guard more often over these last few games than the kind of high post, low post type of guy that he was at the beginning when the offense was clicking, even beyond just transition. And I'm wondering if you think that, and, and we don't have to go into necessarily data on this, just kind of like what, what you see, is, is using LeBron in that role reflective of that reduction in offensive rating that we're seeing?
1: No, I don't think so. I think that it can create for some clunkier possessions at times. Um, I think that there's a fair amount of possessions where you're like, okay, we'll do something besides just um, try a single action and then that doesn't work and then LeBron circles back to get the ball and then dribbles for three or four seconds and then shoots a step back?
2: Can I I jump in real quick kind of within that dynamic? Uh, The Lakers get their play calls in late. I've sat in 108 in the last two home games for Utah and Orlando at floor level, and you're just able to pick up a little bit more when you're right there. And one of the things that I've really noticed is Guys are like directing traffic, or like so. For example, when they when they snap their fingers, whether it's Luke or the point guard or a combination thereof, that's their call for the stagger screen, right? So if you see the point guard or Luke snap in, they're gonna set those that double screen for the guy coming off out of the corner. That sometimes that's going to be KCP, but they've been running it with the starting lineup as well. And there were several times just on that play alone where I saw guys that were. Like, oh crap, I need to come over here Or LeBron's directing them Or Lonzo's directing them You need to go over there And by the time they get set up There's, you know, 15 seconds left on the shot clock Maybe a little bit less And then they run that initial action And nobody's, like, really set and really locked in So the screens are bad And the screens are bad even under ideal circumstances If it's not Chandler or McGee setting them And that doesn't work And then you get to that dynamic Where it's, all right, LeBron, fix it with a high pick and roll Or whatever we're gonna do off of that So anyway, I just wanted to point Point that out that they, they're getting their play calls in late and like getting into what they're doing late. So that's part of the reason why they're only really getting one action deep.
1: So forget what I was going to say. Let's talk about this a little bit more. So <laughs> okay, one thing I was going to ask then off, off of that is how much do you think Luke would prefer to not be calling plays at all? And that they would run like more continuity stuff or that based off of, Floor balance and a lot of different things they would just start to get into actions that work a little bit better for them or that they feel based off of the reads that they're making collectively as a group because Lucas talked about wanting to get to that level since the time that he came on as head coach.
2: I mean, I want to be six foot five, man, but like you got to do something. I I can't do anything about that. But like Luke wanting to get to that point, you can't do that and be like, we're not putting much time into offense in training camp. We're just going to focus on defense. They have seen that pay off, right? And that's happened two years in a row now. I think that's a trend where remember how bad the Lakers were on defense in preseason in the first few games last year. And then it was like it turned around very similarly and strikingly to what it's done this year as well it would be great for them to get to that point. Part of it is roster turnover, right? You don't have the same guys in the same system year after year. But some of it, man, is player development. Like, Ingram has two shot attempts coming off of cuts this year. Two. Like, Kuzma's in the high 30s or low 40s. Hart has a few. Lonzo has several, right? Like, you've got to teach these guys, like, where their opportunities are, how to get to cuts, how to set screens, basically how to set everything up so that you can play in a continuity style like you know how this is true of anything in life and i know you know this it takes a lot of damn work to make something look easy and that's why everything looks really hard in the half court offense in part because they don't have the foundational pieces and that's not just in terms of personnel it's in terms of like teaching principles and applying them i just haven't seen it over the course of walton's three years
1: yeah that's an interesting comment there is As well, I'm wondering, too, how much of it is like personnel based and not necessarily from like a basketball IQ standpoint. But a couple of podcasts ago, you and I had had this discussion and you mentioned that there are these sort of two distinct classifications of of players where you do have guys who you think would fit well into like continuity style offenses. Guys like Lonzo and Kuzma and even Hart or even KCP. Right In terms of just like their ability to play more motion style, come off of screen, set screens, yada, yada, yada. And then you've got guys, and then I think LeBron fits in that as well. I mean, LeBron can play in any style. And then you've got guys who seem to be more comfortable playing like isolation basketball, like guys like Lance Stevenson or Brandon Ingram. And I'm wondering if having that mix of player sort of jams up the ideal in which they're trying to build towards
2: it does um
1: but i feel like you're like sort of wanting to push back against that idea like if you taught it and you drilled it and and these are the reads these are the reads these are the reads like i remember going back to like phil jackson coached the lakers for damn near a decade right? And Luke Walton is a Phil Jackson disciple. And I actually liked the triangle offense. I know that that's probably blasphemy to a lot of people, especially like in today's like pace and space NBA and all of that. But I like the fact that guys made reads. I like the fact that they sort of had these pre-built actions that were set set up and the defense plays you this way so you cut that way or this guy's playing over the top and so there's like like there's your back door cut or you know they'd run that little um weak side action where it's it's kobe at the elbow and then they've got the guard up high to, to make the entry pass and kobe's walking his man up and if the guy overplays and he just spins back door and catches the lob and they ran those same plays for Shaq. And then they ran them for Kobe and the versatility that existed within that offense and the players who were able to then make these reads on the fly and play in this style. Like I thought it was beautiful basketball, but the way that you get there is through, I remember hearing players complain or not necessarily complain, but just talk about how in training camp, they go through practices where they were just practicing pivots and like, left-hand passes you know what i mean where they're mm-hmm. actually drilling the the utmost fundamentals that are going to be utilized within the context and structure of their offense in order to build off of those things so that the reads then become second nature
2: yes here's my thing is how codified can a style of play be in any 19 to twenty four, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three 21 22 23 year old right like no matter what they're, most of this team is young. Do I expect Lance to be a pass cut down screen type of guy? No, I do not. Right. When I talk about, and and when I extend these criticisms, it's not, why can't you get Rondo to play differently? Why can't you get Lance to play differently? Even LeBron. Right. And that's, I want to talk to you about that. I'm not entirely sure LeBron can play a different style than the one that we see. Um, It's the kids. Right. And it's, them figuring out how to play that style, but also how to play with LeBron. And those are not necessarily the same thing. LeBron's going to dominate the ball and can you split cut on the weak side? Can you set flare screens for each other? Do you cut when that weak side defender peeks over at LeBron and know where the space is on that? You know, those are all things that those can be taught to some degree, but it's not the same thing as like a motion type of offense. That said, I want to see progress and I have seen progress in terms of Lonzo is now LeBron's primary screen setter that wasn't the case at the beginning of the season it was usually JaVale more often than not when there's a pick and roll it's going to be LeBron is the ball handler and Lonzo is the screen setter with a dose of the opposite And, you know, we've seen with Kuzma, you know, some of the ability to cut. But also, Kuzma has not been as good over these last 10 games as a scorer. And if Kuz, and you've even tweeted this, if Kuz is not scoring, you know, what what is he bringing to the table? So, all of that's to say that I, I, I do have some degree of pushback on just some basic things that I think you can do with LeBron or without. But there's a big part of this that's just a matter of figuring out how to play with LeBron, and we're only 20 games in.
1: Yeah, so let's get back to the piece that I wrote then. So we are only 20 games in, or 19 to be exact. In the piece that I wrote, I wrote that the half-court offense actually isn't so much the problem. Like, it's a problem, but they've consistently been in around the point eight to point eight five points per 100 half court possessions the entire season which isn't great but it's not oh they're last in the league
2: how, how are they getting those points
1: that's a good question you know the stuff that i'm seeing is mostly off of like pick and roll some mostly pick and rolls they do run some some Weak side or, you you know, stagger screen actions with the stuff that you're describing. They are driving and kicking some. They are moving the ball some. But it's not this, you you know, beautiful game type of
2: offense. That stagger screen they've run for KCP, I'm not sure he scored off of it this year. I can't think of a single, like, they run this play well. Actually, you know, I, I take that back. Their pet play at this point is... Lonzo sets the back screen for the UCLA cut right so say you'll see Kuzma bring the ball up court a lot if Kuzma is bringing the ball up court they're gonna run this play gets the entry pass to LeBron on the wing then at the elbow Lonzo is gonna set a back screen for him and Hopefully they get Kuzma on the cut, LeBron or to Kuzma on that cut. If that doesn't is if that's not open, and most of the time it's not going to be, that's going to flow into a pick and roll, a side pick and roll with Lonzo and LeBron. LeBron gets blitzed, Lonzo goes to the dunker spot in the short corner. I'd like to see him pop actually to the to the corner for a corner three instead. But they're looking for Lonzo to play make out of that, which I, I get. But aside from that, like it's mostly like them ranking respectively in their half-court offense strictly coming off of LeBron's individual brilliance on ball screens that's not good enough man that's not good enough in terms of them maximizing what they can be doing I I could walk out there and be like LeBron run high pick and roll and we're gonna be a decent offense you know what I mean that doesn't mean that I'm providing any value in that
1: yeah, the other action that they've been running a little bit more lately is the dribble handoff exchange between the ball handler who's bringing the ball up and then the wing. But it's the same, it's the same idea. After that dribble hand handoff, that typically flows into a, then a middle pick and roll rather than a side pick pick and roll. And the guy who's at the elbow, so in the example that you just provided, if LeBron is on the wing and... Let's say that Lonzo is bringing the ball up and Kuzma is the guy who's at the elbow instead. Then Lonzo brings the ball up, dribble handoff exchange with with LeBron. LeBron would then flow into a middle pick and roll with Kuzma. And then Kuzma pops for for the three or LeBron is driving hard middle. Or that turns into a switch and then he's isolating. And then the guys on the weak side have done some sort of an exchange right? But it's nothing too, too crazy. Also too, after that dribble hand doff exchange, the guy who originally brought the ball up, he could then run off a double screen coming the opposite way, right? Like underneath the basket and circle back up to to the top. And I think that the idea that I just explained is actually what I think Luke would prefer to happen, right? And that, that play doesn't stop with that pick and roll between LeBron and Kuzma in that example. If Lonzo then comes off a double stagger from underneath the basket and then like right outside the paint and he comes back around, he can then catch the ball and he can run into than a pick and roll with LeBron, or they can run a side pick and roll the other side after McGee set that second screen, if that makes sense, right? And, does. and there is sort of a continuity there that the Lakers can get to. But look, man, like they're stopping at like step one or two within the context of mobile, of these actions. And they're not getting into to actions, you know, three, four, and five. And maybe that is because the play calls are getting in late, the way that you're describing. Or maybe it is because, okay, well, LeBron's got the ball now. And so let's just have LeBron decide what's going to happen next, which typically over the course of his career has led to an offense that's going to be hovering at or inside the top 10 in in the league. It's just not there at this point.
2: So what is the place of these organized actions alongside an all-time great that is an offense in and of himself. For me, it's at least having like pet plays and quick hitters. So the Lakers have shot well from behind the three-point arc. I don't know if they have many guys who you can run a play for a three-pointer for, if that makes sense. Like Kyle Korver and and LeBron, they had these two or three quick hitters. There were like kind of variations on a theme, which would end up as Corver's open for a three if it's run correctly. And if the defense goes, oh, crap, Corver's open for a three, that means the guy who set the screen for him has a slip opportunity and can you know roll to the basket out of that. Tristan Thompson type of guy, right? And while the Lakers are shooting well from three-point range, I don't think they have many guys that they can run three-point plays for. And I'm wondering what the alternative is or if they do have guys that they're underutilizing that. Do you have any thoughts along those lines?
1: yeah well, so here's the thing is that forget the uh corver Tristan Thompson combination. what Cleveland was really doing, especially in the playoffs, was a combination of love and Corver, and so they had two shooters who they could effectively run three point actions for, and so those types of like screen actions like pick pick your poison those were even those were doubly dangerous in terms of generating three point looks because if two guys are jumping at korver it might not be um love slipping to the basket for a dunk and maybe him popping into another little area of of open space and lebron was such a good passer that he'd pick out whoever was open you know what i mean mm-hmm. right. when when it comes to your question about the lakers i'm not sure if hart or KCP, or even Kuzma, considering the level that he shot the three ball at, if any of them are good enough to basically draw the type of attention that's going to then create those open opportunities for, like, the screener.
2: So what can they do?
1: you, You know, honestly, I think they need to run more of these actions that get into secondary and third options man like I think they need to get to the point where they're creating more drive and kick opportunities rather than creating opportunities for spot up jumpers off of screen actions or shots coming off of picks I think that they can run those plays I think that they can run them for Kuzma I think they can run them for for KCP because both of those guys can curl into the mid-range as well and like hit that little shot. Kuzma can get all the way to to the basket and KCP can get all the way to to the basket too if the big man doesn't show correctly and the defender is in a bad trail position. But I think what the Lakers are going to be better at to me is putting Kuzma and putting Lonzo and even Ingram into actions where they end up being on the weak side so that when the ball comes back to them, they can either get off a spot-up three-pointer or they can attack a closeout or they can run a secondary pick and roll. And when you can run a secondary pick, pick and roll, or you can attack a closeout, that's when you can get into the paint and draw help again and then kick back again to, to the opposite side where hopefully you are creating a better spot-up three-point three opportunity. Yeah,
2: I, I'm going through kind of the...
1: The progression you know, in your head?
2: Yeah, I, I am. That's exactly what I'm doing. And I'm going through kind of like the plays that the Lakers have run in the past. And it's interesting. So there are two different parts of the playbook. This is being a little reductive, but it's generally true. Is after a whistle or if there was no whistle on the previous play. So for example, if the ball gets knocked out of bounds and the Lakers get the ball, you're going against the set defense five on five. That's almost always going to be a set play. That's going to be something that one of your play calls, you're going to run that play in the conventional way that we think of running plays in the NBA. That's what's going to happen. What most teams do off of, say, you get a defensive rebound instead of the ball getting knocked out of bounds or a loose ball foul, right? So there's no whistle. You got the ball, but it was not after a whistle you're generally going to play off of principles, right? Because you don't want to take all of the time to get the exact five guys in the exact right spots and then run a play. You have advantage created before that that's better than slowing it down so that you can run that play. The Lakers have slowed down. And it's funny because in the pre-show, we talked about this a little bit. And we don't think that, that that was necessarily impacting it. But I do think that the higher volume of Half-court plays means that they are they are playing more towards the thing that they're weakest at right now. It's the late play calls. It's the bad screening. It's generally kind of uninventive sets. It's getting one action, maybe two, but really we're talking one action most of the time into what they're doing. And they're getting more of those types of possessions. When I go through the kind of profile of the different plays that they run, it's interesting to me, this is kind of a realization I'm having even with all the tape I watch and all, all that just kind of as, as I speak, so much of the Lakers playbook was built around KCP, off of those after-the-whistle situations. And that's not uncommon around the league. If you watch Golden State, so much is built for Clay Thompson. How does Clay run off of screens? It's this play that the first ability to make something work is off of can we get create a shot for Clay? And then you always have Steph... Able to do things, create things himself, and Durant able to create things himself. That in a lot of ways, a lot of times there are fewer plays run for them because it's a clay can't get himself involved in that same type of way. With the Lakers not really having any shooter to come off of screens in the starting lineup, especially with Kuzma, like Kuzma is the one guy that I feel like you could do that for. Maybe you could do it for Lonzo, and maybe that's an interesting area to explore. But I also feel like they've found something good with Lonzo as the primary screener for LeBron. And I'd like them to keep kind of rolling with something that works and keep finding those things first. Um, but not having a guy who can shoot off of screens in the starting lineup, I think has a, a domino effect on everything else.
1: Do you think that Hart could be that player?
2: I do, but he ain't in the starting lineup, man.
1: Yeah. I was just asking because Kuzma's essentially your power forward. And even though you try to slot him appropriate, like the Lakers have this weird lineup, right? Where their small forward is LeBron James, basically. And they have him playing a fair amount of basically point guard. Their point guard is Lonzo. And I don't even know what position you would say that he's really playing offensively. He splits his time between like, initial offensive initiator and screener and spot up option. <laughs> you you know, Kuzma is purely like a spot up option or someone who is running off picks and Ingram is another small forward, kind of, right? Like another point forward. And so just sort of talking this out with you right now, there's actually not a lot of skill balance in yeah. the starting lineup. And that's not necessarily to say that like um josh hart's gonna fix that by replacing kyle kuzma but do you think that that would fix some of the slotting with these players or is it just sort of like oh i'm replacing one similar player with another similar player and maybe the issue is really brandon ingram
2: um no i think you do get a little bit more from josh and I think things get kind of slotted a little more effectively. Josh has shot the ball a hell of a lot better than Kyle has, right? Yes. And that's going to be something. That, and really, when you think about it from the the second most dangerous outside shooter for the Lakers right now is Lonzo Ball, who on any given day it just it does not want to take shots, right? And I want to talk about this in a bit, right? We've seen a lot more aggression from him, but it kind of speaks to, so Kuz is a very willing outside shooter, but it's been long enough now this season. He just hasn't been good. He's been hovering around 30% or so. Josh has been very good in that respect. I also think that Josh, Josh is very much like a Mori ball type of guy where he's just going to take the shots that he's supposed to take. He's been dealing with an ankle issue, so he hasn't produced in the last couple of games, but he's going to take shots at the rim and from three. And if not, he's going to move it and he's totally fine. If he gets, has a night where he takes five shots, those are the right five shots for him to take. He can still contribute. Um, I I do think that that's something that probably on both the first unit and the second unit would improve how, how things go with Ingram. It's it's going to be really interesting to see how they can figure out LeBron and Ingram together. I would actually like to see Ingram used as a screener more, not just in like pick and roll situations with LeBron, but like off of the ball. I think he can. It's a way to get him on the move. And so, for example, one of the things that you do for a shooter, if you have a shooter on the team, which I obviously Ingram isn't that, but if you use a a shooter as your screener, that's going to be something that creates advantage for him, especially if he's screening like. You know, say they say they run a set for, and they've got Josh in the starting lineup alongside Brandon. If it's Ingram setting that down screen or that flare screen for Josh to come off of it, Ingram can come off of that and release either off of the slip, slip to the corner, basically get the ball after it goes to Josh, and then Josh's read is I'm going to shoot, drive, or pass over to Brandon, and then that can flow into that secondary ball screen type action that you always talk about. That I think is really perfect for for brandon and it can get him more open spot up opportunities things like that so to me i'm wondering if using brandon as a screener is, along with having Hart in the starting lineup is is kind of like a way to work around this but luke has some difficult like he doesn't have a perfect roster to do this um i don't think he's done a, a good job in a half court with an imperfect roster but it is worth acknowledging that yeah there's it's kind of hard to make this work
1: look the fit is a bit clunky and we've been saying it all year. I think that it's a personnel question. And it's also 20 games in to a season where the parts don't fit exactly right. And so I think it's looking clunkier than what it will in game 40. It's hard to be patient. I think that we are still looking for the Lakers to be equal to the sum of its parts on some nights and hopefully get to the point where they're greater than the sum of their parts because we know that these guys are talented as as individual players it's it's finding the right sort of balance and mixture to get to a final prod product where they're producing at a level where you're like yes that's what i'm looking for and that's chemistry it's like alchemy
2: it's interesting because we've seen, like, at the beginning of the season, the, like, hey, this is working pretty well on offense. And then later we've seen it, hey, this is working pretty well on defense. And that's part of the nature of a season, right? But when, like, even the Orlando loss, like, they didn't play hard between the second and third quarter. And it's it's funny, we talked a little bit, you know, pre-show about covering a team like this and, and just covering the Lakers in general. And part of my, like, I was expressing to you kind of, like, some frustration on like some nights like I don't have anything to say and part of it is because they didn't play hard like it's not complicated right like they did not give effort on the defensive end against Orlando in the second and third quarters they lost those quarters by 25 and they tried to come back and a furious comeback in the fourth quarter and it fell short the pieces are all there we are just seeing kind of the attrition of an 82 game season and it can all come together soon. But I guess I won't feel great about it until I see those stretches where it's like everything's clicking all at the same time.
1: Yeah, no, I'm with you 100% there. I want to talk about the defense for a second. You had mentioned that you think that this version of the team is closer to what they'll be for the rest of the year. And I did as well. One of the things that we're seeing, and you did note that this is a softer part of the schedule, but over the last nine games or so since the Lakers got Tyson Chandler, they've been in the top five in the league in defensive efficiency. And with Tyson Chandler on the floor, they've got a defensive rating like of like 96 points something. So I got two questions for you. Do you think, not necessarily those two numbers, but... How sustainable is them being like this level of defense, if not top five, then in the top 10? And are there things that you're seeing specifically that are sustainable that you think will translate for the rest of the year that can be the foundation for a good defense?
2: I don't think that they are a top 10 defense. Uh, I do feel a little bit better about their ability to get to like fifteen or so over the course of the season, which they're better than as we speak. I think part of that's the soft schedule over the last few games has, has brought it to that point. But we're at the quarter mark of the season. They played good teams, bad teams, and somewhere in the middle and here they are, right? Um the thing that and this is a thing that I don't think Luke gets enough credit, as much as he can drive me crazy with the offensive stuff, for some of the defensive adjustments that he makes. If you notice who Lonzo is guarding and who Brandon has been guarding lately and this is over the last four or five games or so maybe a little less Lonzo started out and played most of the game against Orlando on Evan Fournier rather than DJ Augustine and you had Brandon defending Augustine a lot more He has recognized Ingram's difficulty with chasing guys around screens and has had Stuck Alonzo on those guys because Alonzo's a good point of attack defender, too. He's developed into that, but he's good at chasing guys off of screens now, too. That's a weakness in Brandon's game. But if you put Brandon on the ball and in space, he does a much better job of that. Even with ball screens, he has some work to do on that, but that's what Brandon does the best. And they are fighting over the top of nearly every screen and funneling into JaVale McGee, who not so coincidentally is either leading the league in blocks or is right up there, right? I haven't looked in a few games. They're weak so, screens too, right? They're weak a lot of screens, and they've done that before, Where, um, and that's a weakness of JaVale is that, and there are miscommunications between the guards and the bigs sometimes, even Chandler as well, where the guard will weak the screen, but the big doesn't contain. You'll see me complain about this on Twitter a lot, right, where... The you know, Javel didn't get into position to contain again. Or even a lot of his blocks, honestly, are plays that he gets blocks because he actually blew his contain, but he's just got such insane length that he will block some of those. Uh, but he also gives up kind of these straight-line drive layups while the guard does that. The Lakers are switching a lot less, uh, and obviously that's uh, on account of personnel. They don't really have that small ball five type of guy. They'll switch one through four, but a lot less, you know, all the way through and that's harder to do in today's nba and vucevic for example killed them because he can pop and that's a weakness to the drop coverages and the lakers also one one thing that they do with chandler is called shocking the ball this is the lakers term for it where so on a drop coverage you have the big hang back in the paint while the guard fights over the screen right shocking the ball means the big comes up to the level of the screen so he's not blitzing the pick and roll but it's a harder hedge right it's it's up to the level of the screen so it's a little harder to shoot those pull up threes and yeah things it's like, like a hard that. show right it's a harder show right and and uh you can do that with Chandler better than you can with JaVale JaVale's kind of like this diesel engine on defense if you watch him he doesn't have a lot of like quick twitch in that if he has to change direction or drop his hips or something, takes him a moment to kind of get that going, and then once he does, he's able to you know cover great space with his his legs and with his you know great length and all of that. Um, but all of that is to say that I think pretty much everyone, especially like you know, he put Kuzma on Joe Ingles the other day, uh, and. He, Kuz didn't do a good job against Aaron Gordon, but when he he's been putting Kuz on wings a little more often, and that really suits Kuz's strengths. And so pretty much everybody is defending is in a role defensively that suits their strengths about as well as you can. Especially when kind of the elephant is in the room is that you have to accommodate LeBron in a lot of ways on the defensive end. So. That's a long-winded way of me answering your question is that I don't think they are a top 10 defense you're, that they can get into that part. But I do think that some changes and adjustments have been made that will bump them up, that bumps up their ceiling significantly. What have you seen?
1: I've seen all of the things that, that you've, you've been seeing. But, but one thing that, that I would add, and I think that this is something that I think you can help attribute some of the recent success defensively too, is that Chandler and McGee sort of replicate each other across every lineup that they appear in. And I think that that's created a certain amount of consistency in scheme that allows the other four players on the court to basically make the same or similar reads possession after possession after possession. And I feel like that, that is leading to less miscommunications defensively, which then leads to more consistent performance, possession to possession. And I think that that's bearing out in the numbers that we're seeing. That's not to say that they don't get hurt still. Um, I, I wrote about this in, in my piece, but in the first Orlando game, Orlando noticed that the Lakers were weakening the screen. And so what they then started to do offensively was run two players up to set screens on both sides of the ball.
2: Can we explain real quick uh, what weakening the screen is?
1: Yeah, and so a lot of times the Lakers will want the ball handler in a pick and roll to go left Every single time. It doesn't even matter if the player's left-handed or right-handed. They basically want to send them to the same side of the floor every single time on, on the screen. And it's interesting because on some of these highlight plays, you might see like, oh, like that guy got really crossed over like on that screen, screen and roll. But what was really happening was the defender who was on the ball was weaking the screen. So he jumped up to the top side of the screen to make the defender go opposite of the screen and to his left hand. Because one of the Lakers' foundation principles is that they do not want players to go middle. Ever. Yes. Ever. So they ice screens on side pick and rolls. Ice means they force them baseline. And they've been weakening a lot of screens trying to um, influence the ball handler to go left every single time.
2: And if I can jump in just to clarify the difference between weaking and icing, which is very similar, to weak a screen, like you said, is to send a guy in a certain direction so say i'm that we're waking someone and it's we're going to send this guy left so if this if the screen comes up and it's sending him to his left cool go ahead and use the screen if the screen comes up and he's going to send him to his right i'm not letting you use the screen you're going to have to reject the screen whatever we're doing we're sending you left so just to clarify that's the slight difference whereas ice you're always sending baseline no matter what
1: yes and and so the lakers are trying to get guys to go left on these screens every single time. So what Orlando was doing was they started to send two guys up.
2: Yep, those double high ball screens. Those double
1: high ball screens. So it's just like the guy defending the ball at the point of the attack, he was for real getting confused about like, okay, well, what the hell now? Because if we're trying to send this guy left every single time, I'm getting screened regardless, right? Like, Every, like, no matter which way it's going, I'm getting... Like, like I'm getting picked off. And there was even a play... And, you know, poor poor Josh Hart. Because after the game, I think he even had, had quotes that, like... You know, um, I was terrible tonight at... Well, at the point, point of attack. Because there was one play where Hart's up there... And he's trying to force the guy left. But he got so top high on the screen that DJ Augustine basically just split both screens like it was a field mm-hmm. goal and drove right down the <laughs> right. middle of the paint and got like a layup. And, and, <laughs> and it looked so comical because it, he he was Moses out there, right? Like walking right down the middle of the Red Sea like he and he just got a layup. And so I say all that to say that the Lakers are still going to get caught up sometimes where the philosophy that they're um trying to execute defensively is is going to be countered successfully by the opposition I'm like i mean that's coaching that's that's just how things go sometimes but overall i think that them playing the same style across every single lineup has led to a little bit more consistency that wasn't there earlier in the season where they were playing small much more and kuzma's at center and are we switching are we not how many times in the first five to ten games of the year did did the lakers defense just get blown up because of a miscommunication on right. a switch
2: yeah, you're and, seeing that a lot less. Yeah,
1: and you're barely seeing it at all because they're barely switching. Most of the times they switch, it's on these weak side exchanges, like between guard, guard and forward. And mostly, it's LeBron basically just pointing at a guy, basically saying like, "Nah, I'm going to stand here in the same place. Like, you take him, right? Like, all they're doing is is a wing to wing exchange. Like, I'm staying right here. And, and and so, which may be a good segue now to add to. Talk to you some about LeBron and, like, the elephant in
2: the room. Like, what do you do with LeBron defensively?
1: Yeah, or just, like, do you think... LeBron's had several highlight plays defensively this year. Like, I think he's had a few, like, really clutch and big blocks. You know, bang-bang plays at the rim. But overall... Do you feel like he's bringing or or he's playing at, like, a requisite level defensively?
2: I think LeBron's been slightly better than I expected him to be defensively. To me, he is the biggest reason why the Lakers are bad in transition defense. But if you can get him in a five-on-five type of situation, I think he's actually been okay and has actually been a little better than okay when accounting for, like, how do guys who— Shoulders such an offensive burden normally defend. Your Westbrooks, your Hardens, your. you look all around the league when you're, a guy is asked to carry water like that offensively. My expectation level for what not just LeBron, but any of those guys do on the defensive end drops. Considering the offensive load that LeBron carries in the half court, I think he's been okay, right? Maybe a little better than okay. Uh, it's in transition defense where I think that his effort could be better it's also something that you know is that where you want him expending that at this point I, I don't know man. I don't that's the thing is with him is do you give a guy like that a pass not like LeBron gives a crap what I think right but like do, do you give a guy like that a pass knowing the offensive burden he carries the mileage the years all of that at what point does LeBron's defense become unacceptable knowing all of the context that comes into it. So for me, transition defense has been bad. Half court has been acceptable. Where where do you stand on that, that elephant in the room, as we said?
1: I mean, I mostly agree with what you're saying. The parts that I struggle with is more the... If the effort level is especially poor over a prolonged stretch, I think that that has a real adverse effect on like the overall flow and feel of the game and I think that that's when games can get away from you a little bit and I actually think that happened in both Orlando games
2: yes I agree with that
1: um, where there was that there were those stretches in like the middle of the game where I felt like LeBron especially wasn't necessarily that interested in playing defense at all whether it was the half court or in transition And I think that it's those times where the Lakers just aren't good enough. And they end up having to play catch up and dig themselves out of a hole. And sometimes they are good enough to do that. Right, Because once LeBron then becomes engaged again, then the defensive stops start start to come and then you start to get LeBron downhill a little bit more. And then when he's really engaged defensively, he makes some of the plays like he did against the Blazers in the two wins. And some of those defensive plays he had against Denver in the first Denver matchup where he was just stonewalling Jokic and he had a couple of blocks at the rim. And he's a difference maker. Defensively, He can't play like that for the 35 minutes that he's on the floor, and I get that. What I don't want, though, and what is hard for me to be accepting of, even when accounting for all the load that he's carrying offensively, is the sort of total disinterest and total disengagement that he's had in, let's be honest, like, More than just a handful of games this season for, if not huge stretches, significant enough stretches within games where the Lakers have shown to be like, okay, like they're, they're vulnerable now and the game can start to turn in, in a way where there is no coming back.
2: Yeah. It's kind of like, you know how great offensive players and LeBron does this. It like, they'll make like run stopping shots. Like they'll like turn it up for a two-minute stretch or something like that right to kind of swing the momentum there are defensive places to do that too that was something that kobe used to do especially as he got older he did not play 48 minutes of great defense as he got older um but you know in 2009 2010 those type of years he you could count on him for five-minute stretches or if the lakers needed to swing momentum he would help do that defensively and there are times where lebron has the opportunity to do that but doesn't take it so i I definitely see where you're coming from on that now i'd like to see more of that i i guess just my expectation level just isn't there
1: i would say that he surpassed my expectations even in high stakes moments so there Mm, have been uh sure so Mm -hmm. the lakers have played a substantial amount of like close games or or just games that have been close for like like how is this close and I feel like in those high stakes moments, LeBron is like, oh, like, no, you you still have a gear defensively. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that has stood out to me in a way even this early in the season that I was not expecting. And, and so that has been like a really pleasant surprise to me. But I have seen some late career Kobe <laughs> for, <laughs> yes. for and- stretches, which look, man, like that's expected. It's year 16 for for yeah. this guy, I'm not gonna bury him for that.
2: Sure, I have one more thing I wanna cover, and since it's been a while since we recorded, you know, let, let's, let's go a little longer. Um, Lonzo has got a wild hair recently to attack the hell out of the basket, and has done it with mixed results. I had a video come out today, the day that we we're recording this, about how he can get better at finishing on those, but there seems to be a significant mentality change in him. Do you agree with that? And if so, what are your thoughts on it?
1: Yes, I agree. Agree with it. And I'm happy that he's playing this way. Look, man, like, do you remember that that article that came out years and years and years ago? And I think it was um, something that came out of the Sloan conference. And I want to attribute it to Kirk Goldsberry, but it may not have been, been him. But it was talking about the Kobe assist. Yes. Where basically the offensive attention that a player like, or the defensive attention, I'm sorry, that a player like Kobe would draw offensively meant that there were times where he was taking shots and these shots might be bad shots and they were going to end up in misses. But the fact that he was drawing more defensive attention meant that his team was more likely to get an offensive rebound and and it led to putbacks and scoring chances that... May not have been there otherwise if he had just like tried to pass the ball, right? And it got named the Kobe assist. And Lonzo, him attacking the rim the way that he has been, even if he's not finishing all of these shots, and he's not, and I think that you focused on some like technique issues that he might be having and you you, you know, like maybe not turning his body enough towards towards the basket or taking off too far from from the rim or going too fast when he's going into his, his final step, so it's taking his momentum, is carrying him like into the basket a little bit more. All of those things are true, but on these misses, the Lakers are cleaning some of these up too. And I think that those are leading to points, even if they're not from Lonzo. And, and, and so, look, I'm happy that he's attacking the basket because, and I tweeted this the other day, but the more that he threatens the rim as a scorer offensively and just in general the more aggressive he is especially off off of the dribble offensively the more it's going to open up the rest of his game man like all these plays that you that you and I have talked about earlier this this podcast where he's screening for LeBron and maybe he gets into into those short roll situations he takes a couple of those to the rim for for layups well, guess what? The next time that big man is rotating over and he's throwing that lob to McGee or Chandler. And that's yep, how basketball yep. works. You show yourself as as a threat to do something and the defense responds accordingly. So far throughout his career, Lonzo has shown himself mostly as a threat to be a passer. And so teams are playing in the past. So he should take advantage and try to get to, to uh, the rim to score.
2: Yeah, I'm in a similar place. In a broader sense, I don't feel like Lonzo has really kind of explored the outer limits of what he's capable of. And this is basically what that looks like, right? Is some of the attempts, like I I tweeted out the other day, uh, like is Lonzo being too aggressive here in the Utah game? And like everybody, (laughs) everybody was like, no, like let him keep doing this. I don't care what the results are. Like he needs to attack and be aggressive like this. Which is a totally fair point. I actually agree more than I disagree. There's a time to be aggressive in the situations that you were talking about. There are also times where he's driving like one on four into yeah. brick walls. and But Lonzo never makes those type of mistakes. And that's actually probably a bad thing. One of the things, I, I don't know why I make this association, but I hope it'll make sense. When you're teaching kids how to dribble or if you're doing like a ball handling circuit one of the things that you'll tell them is if you never make a mistake doing this you aren't doing it fast enough now that's not to say that you want a guy a kid to go out there and try and do everything at like top speed but you want to do it so that it's it's slow enough so that most of it's under control But it's not easy because you want to push yourself to improve, to do that thing a little bit tighter, a little bit faster, a little bit better. And applying that to Lonzo's game, especially as a scorer, he's never really explored that until the last three, four games or so. And sometimes there's going to be that, well, even if you were a high-end scorer, that one-on-four drive to the rack probably wasn't the right thing to do you can live with those type of mistakes because that's the direction that Lonzo needs to calibrate to. The way that defenses had defended him because they play him to pass is they leave him open. And I, I wonder if something clicked, and I've been meaning to ask Luke about this, but haven't. There was a play in the Miami game where on one end, he got back cut by Tyler Johnson. And then on the other end, he came off of a ball screen and it was totally his shot to take. And he threw a skip pass that was a little bit off the mark to Josh Hart, hit off of josh's hands it was low and ended up going out of bounds i think he got his ass pulled out of the game right after that play and never came back in i i wonder if that like that was an enforcement thing the first 15 games or so he didn't close the orlando game but i don't think it was a result of anything he did wrong necessarily but i do think the lakers have been trying to enforce like you have to shoot when you're open type stuff and he's never really explored the limits of what that means because when you're open for one guy is means different for another guy right and and it's good to have lonzo doing that it's just it kind of speaks to the what a strange year this is where you have a later prime superstar and lebron's been great along with this guy that's like exploring what he can be, you know? And they're like, that guy is the second, third, most important guy on the team. Just kind of speaks to how odd this team is.
1: Yeah, and I think specifically with with Lonzo, look, he has been, and we talked about this a ton last year, but he has mostly been the culture setter for every team that he's played on his entire life. Even last year's Lakers, they looked at him that way. As the guy who was going to be, if not the team's best player or its main player, the guy who embodied most how the team was supposed to play. And he was like that at UCLA and he was like that at Chino Hills. And I'm sure every AAU team he's ever been on ever. This is the first year where I think they're asking him to not necessarily to be that. I I, I think that they're drawing off of him, like, yes, we want to play fast. Yes, we want to move move the ball. Yes, these, these are the things that, that play to Lonzo's strengths. But I think that they are also saying, well, yeah, well, you also need to be a little bit more selfish and you need to shoot when you're open every time, almost. And sometimes you're going to need to shoot when you're not open. And I thought it was a very interesting quote that LeBron had, The other day where the premise was basically like Lonzo's just starting to figure out like or he he still doesn't quite get how much of an impact he can have just by being himself. Right. And and just playing more like give me more. You can do more. And yeah. And I think he is starting to say, okay, you want more? Well, then here it is. And sometimes that's (laughs) right, right? And, and I think that's sometimes that's gonna be that's gonna result in good things, sometimes it's gonna result in bad things, but that's how you learn. There was a play against the Jazz where he for real's went one on three. He gave Rubio a forearm to the chest and shoved him off, and Rubio stripped the ball anyway, and the ball went out out of bounds and Lakers ball, you you know, baseline inbounds play. But, and I thought to myself, what the hell are you doing? You know, (laughs) driving one on three. And then he for reals could have easily gotten an an offensive foul call on that. Like, because he gave Rubio a real forearm shiver right, like right to the chest. But I thought to myself, look, man, like, okay, well then go on then. Like, do your thing. And we're going to see how far he can test it right like you pull the rubber band back as far as it goes and then you know it slips out out of your hand and then it snaps against your skin and then like ouch that hurts right but the next time okay maybe i go a little bit less far but i know now how far i can stretch this thing before i'm going to get hurt doing it and i think it's good for him to figure some some of this stuff out. And I'm glad the coaches are in his ear. I'm glad that Luke is going to pull him for stuff like that rather than the opposite. And I'm glad that Rondo is the guy that's telling him, like, get to the yeah. basket.
2: These are the perfect type of vets to put around him, too. These are, like, aggressive killers, like, guys who if they care about him and if they're invested in him and i get the impression that they are based on how they're on him about these type of things like those are exactly the type of surrounding influences that he needs
1: no i totally agree with that and, and the other thing too is that these are smart players <laughs> you know Very what i mean so. like especially i'm talking most mostly about lebron and rondo here but these are guys where it's just like I think as a young player, you're gonna trust that when they're telling you something, it's to your benefit.
2: Yes, very much so, and uh, that—that's those are exactly the type of guys that he needs. It, an analogy that I'd make, and this will be my you know like last point on Lonzo, and I want to preface this by saying this isn't a pejorative; it's just to say that it's unconventional. In that, I feel like Lonzo is the basketball version of being homeschooled. And again, that is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing, right? It's just you go through a different experience in your upbringing. You go, just go through different events. It looks different than it does in a conventional way, if you go to conventional high school and all of that. And there are wonderful benefits to that, and I'm sure there are negatives to it, too. But it's just different. And so watching a guy like him, if that analogy is apt, his development arc it's actually really interesting, and I think us basketball geeks can learn a lot from watching it and should be paying attention to Lonzo's development over the course of years because he had such an unconventional playing style as he was growing up that he got very good at things that he that most guys aren't good at, at his age, and don't understand, don't have a feel for, but also some things where it's like, what the hell? Why can you not shoot a right-handed layup off of a left foot with a gather? I know fifth graders who can do this. You know, and yeah. like, like When making that video, it's like, I'm like screaming at my monitor because it's like, ah, this is simple. You can do this. Like, why can't you do this? But it's just, it's. I think it speaks to his unconventional upbringing. So it's going to be very interesting to see what direction that goes in and to help fill in those gaps of where where he didn't get the experience of what a conventional guard would get. I can't think of anybody better than guys like Rondo and LeBron to help shepherd him down that path.
1: Well, also too, man, like, look, for all the flack that we can give the coaches sometimes, and, you know, earlier, both you and I were, were talking about, like, player development and teaching guys certain things. I saw a clip from... A video or from a post practice where LeBron and um, the coaching so the coaching staff was putting Lonzo and Sphi through basically pick and roll drills where they're teaching them or going through the motions with them on, on how to put the defender in jail so basically how to seal you know like When a guard, when the defensive guard fights over the screen and then you sort of lock them in on your back hip in in order to shield them from, from the ball while still being a threat with a live dribble to get into the paint. And LeBron was watching all of this and then he walked over and he was kind of showing them, like, look, like, hold your dribble here and this is how you position your off arm and this is how you lock them in. And it was like... Very interesting stuff, right? Just watching all of that. And then a week ago, I can't even re- remember which game it was. It might have been the Miami game. I'm not exactly sure. Lonzo runs a sideline pick and roll. They don't ice it. So the guy fights over the top. Lonzo puts his guy in jail and then slows up and then hits a little eight foot floater from. That was the Cleveland, big Cleveland line. on Sexton.
2: Yes. Cleveland against Colin Sexton. I know exactly the play you're talking
1: and about. And I thought to myself, there it is. You know, like, like he was just it was just two or three weeks ago where I saw a random post practice video of him doing this exact drill. And now here it is transferring to live game action. And so I say all of that just to sort of build on your point of like, yes, it's going to be instrumental or and it's going to be very interesting to see where his development takes him. But I very much trust in the foundation of talent that this kid has in order to develop the skills that maybe he wasn't taught because he was out there playing a style of basketball that honestly cannot be taught throughout his like junior high and high school career and then into college. So I remain all in on, on Lonzo Ball and, and I'm glad that he's taking and ratcheting his aggression level up you you know not just a notch but several
2: right there with you man well this was a lot of fun um it was nice to go a little bit long and uh i'm sure i will regret this in the editing process but i really enjoyed talking to you for this long man let's do this again soon for sure um you've been listening to the laker film room podcast we will catch you guys next time just give me a
1: chance to think it takes <laughs> me a little while to get wound up. up i know it does make you a lot of things
2: Rebound to Blotty. Nice rebound The Blotty. Oh, badging ahead and go to face.
1: Those
0: underage scores. What a family
2: ovation. Listen to the crowd. I think that is a cosmetic call, baby. Okay, kid, you're all right in my book.
1: Will you get these idiots out of here?